Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey folks, this is the Lakers Legacy Podcast, and we are proud to announce a partnership collaboration with a brand new podcast app. If you're looking for a new way to listen to podcasts that's a lot more interactive and fun, well, look no further than the cooler podcast player on the Apple Store. The app that makes sure you never miss the hottest sports talk by the cooler with like-minded fans and listeners of the same community. So download the Cooler Podcast Player on the Apple Store, search for your favorite podcast, specifically look up the Lakers Legacy Podcast, we are up there right now, subscribe to our Cooler page, click on one of our episodes, listen away, and then join the conversation by commenting away down below on each episode. Add some emojis, like the cringe emoji, because I know that I can be quite cringe. Ask us questions about specific points we made throughout a specific episode. The Cooler Podcast Player is essentially like Reddit, but curated and consolidated per podcast community so that you can join the conversation in a safer, more intimate, and less trolly space than other apps like X. And you can do so with other like-minded Lakers Legacy Podcast listeners. Also, you're likely to find one of us commenting and replying back to you guys directly within each episode feed in the comments section. So grab a drink, make your way over to the cooler, and join the conversation now by downloading the Cooler Podcast Player app. Make sure to add the Lakers legacy to your queue, and let's keep the debates and discussions going beyond the final sign-offs you hear from us at the end of each episode. The Cooler Podcast Player. Listen, then speak your mind. All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where I do not like purple and gold eggs and ham. I do not like them, Darwin Scam. So get me off this hamster wheel. Miss me with all of the coffee cup Coach Carter Will Smith quotables. And please find me a coach who can actually coach. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander, Tommy, when it comes to Subway, in terms of the sandwiches, the type of sandwich that you get, are you a ham sandwich or a turkey sandwich kind of guy when you order at Subway? I don't know what I was before, but now I can't say the word ham out loud without feeling disgusted. <laughs> so turkey going forward, certainly. There you go. I am actually a teriyaki chicken breast kind of guy. So yeah. Oh, wow. All right. All right. <laughs> going outside the <laughs> hypothetical here. Yeah. Tell me, tell me when we hire coach chicken breast, teriyaki chicken breast. Um... So anyways, you may be wondering, why are we ragging on Darvin Ham after the Lakers have just won two straight games in a row? Well, frankly, the answer is simple. 
It's because Darvin Ham is still a bad coach, and he is still, unfortunately, the coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. So yes, the Lakers are 19-19. They've won two close games in a row. It's no coincidence that LA's mini two-game win streak here has coincided with the return of D'Angelo Russell. And yet, even when he wins, Darvin Ham still somehow continues to show an utter lack of competent in-game management and a lack of having any sort of pulse on the rhythm of his players within a game. And so after a game in which D'Angelo Russell returns, plays 30 minutes, and helps save Ham's job by being the scoring and playmaking catalyst in the second half versus the Clippers, and helping ultimately get the Lakers a much-needed win after they've dropped three straight in a row, what does Ham do? Well, last night versus the Toronto Raptors, Darvin Ham relegates D'Angelo Russell to just 16 minutes, his lowest amount of minutes he's played this season. And that's in spite of the fact that D'Angelo Russell was playing really well last night and had the best plus-minus on the team. Somehow, in just 16 minutes, D'Angelo Russell put up 11 points and 5 assists. And after sitting him in the fourth, the Lakers almost gave the game away, and some would say the Lakers got bailed out by the refs. I'm not saying that. Others are. But overall, what Darvin Ham showed in even the two games that he's won, but most especially last night, is just continued poor player and personnel management. The fact that Ham would purposefully stifle the Lakers' third highest paid player, the Lakers' best non-LeBron James playmaker, the Lakers' best heat-seeking scorer because when D'Angelo Russell is on, he's on, the fact that Darvin Ham would purposefully stifle this player and only give him 16 minutes a game, even when said player is actively making a positive impact on the court, it's just, it's beyond me. D'Angelo Russell declined to talk to the media for the second straight game, and honestly, good for him because this isn't going to end well for the Lakers. This isn't Russell Westbrook we're talking about here. Again, not only did D'Angelo Russell have the best plus-minus of the game last night, D'Angelo Russell has the best plus-minus on the entire team for the whole season. He also has the third-highest net rating on the team on the year. And Darvin Ham is just jostling his minutes back and forth like he's a rookie ragdoll. 16 minutes last night, 30 minutes the night before then, 20 minutes, 29 minutes, 17 minutes, 17 minutes. How can a player succeed with that type of inconsistency in role and minutes? And yet, D'Angelo Russell has been a professional and still found ways to contribute to the team in spite of the arbitrary usage and utilization. So that is why today we are talking about Darvin Ham and putting the sole spotlight on him. So yeah, in today's episode, that is the extent of how much we're going to talk about actual in-game play. Uh, We're not going to talk any more about the controversial win against the Toronto Raptors last night or the Clippers game. Instead, consider this episode our definitive official evergreen statement on Coach Hip, Mr. Darvin Ham. This is our therapeutic airing out of all of our Darvin Ham frustrations. Because again, it doesn't matter that the Lakers have won two in a row. It won't matter if they swing a trade or two. The larger systemic issue within this organization still remains. Darvin Ham is the Lakers' head coach. So, as you all know, over the last week or so, before the Lakers had won their two straight games, there have been several reports up until this point that have very explicitly intimated that Ham has lost the locker room. And while players are not necessarily throwing him under the bus, they have express their concerns about not knowing their role on this team and being frustrated with the constant tinkering and the 
inability of Ham to go back to the core guys who helped get him here in the first place. And I, I understand the player's frustration because it's the fans' frustration. The whole promise of this season, Tommy, was continuity, bringing back continuity. And I know injuries have messed that plan up, but even to the point when we had most guys healthy, we just never went back to the plan, you know, and that largely falls on Darvin Ham. And you can say starting lineup this, starting lineup that, but as we've discussed in previous episodes, he's not putting the winning lineups together that helped him get to this point even within the actual games. If he is, he's putting them in for like one minute, which at that point, it's like, what is the point? And I think it's telling that the Lakers were just as good slash bad at the start of the season when they were missing four rotation players as they were when they had everyone healthy. And to me, that kind of signals that the coach has no handle on the roster and he maybe have had an easier time handling the team when his choices were default narrowed down for him due to injuries. So yeah, why don't we dive into your thoughts on Darvin Ham? I want to caveat things though by saying it's not all on Ham. This is obviously on the players as well. They haven't hit their wide open shots. And while the percentages in the aggregate look fine with regards to, oh, Rui's shooting 38%, everybody's shooting 39% from three, the players haven't really synced up their progression correctly in that respect. In the aggregate, again, they've all managed to get to like 37, 38% shooting from three. But along the way to get there, when D'Lo was shooting 40% from three, Prince and Reeves were shooting like 25% from three. When Prince finally started shooting 45% from three, all of a sudden D'Lo was shooting 30% from three, so on and so forth. So the Lakers just haven't been a consistent shooting team that has collectively shot well at the same time. So the onus is still on the players to get in sync together, to shoot better, play with better energy. The IST hangover and lack of focus is real. The schedule, the tough schedule and all the back-to-backs is real. So this isn't just on Darvin Ham, but has Darvin Ham helped mitigate the situation or made the best out of the situation? The answer for me is clearly no, and there was no better example of that than when the Lakers place uh when the Lakers played the Miami Heat and we saw Coach Spo on the other end and saw how he handles his team and the deficiencies that his team is currently working through and the way that he handles the media and what excuses and non-excuses he puts out there versus what Darvin Ham continues to spew. So I guess <clears throat> leading into this discussion about Darvin Ham, I wanted to ask you specifically because we never talked about this. For the most part, we've never done like a relitigation of Darvin Ham here on this podcast, and we've largely given him the benefit of the doubt and contextualized his situation as a new head coach dealing with the Russell Westbrook experience through the first half of last season. But I'm curious to ask you now. Why have your sentiments on Darvin Ham changed? Because I feel like for the majority of his tenure, you have been in the position to give him a fair benefit of the doubt, which I, which is, I think is a proper stance. I've been a lot more bitchy and moany along the way, but you haven't. But now I'm curious, and you don't have to go through the things that we've gone through in the past of like all the specific pinpoints, but I want you to give me your existential reason for why you've sort of, quote unquote, turned on Ham at this point. I think. The thing that stood out to me for him from when we got him, right, is like the way that I've always viewed coaches, because every great coach, I was like talking to somebody about this the other day, actually, like people are like, oh, why does it seem like the Lakers can never hire a good coach? 
it's like so interesting how people just have like this like two year like three year backward looking memory when it comes to this kind of stuff who's a good coach who's not a good coach the guy that everybody wanted monty williams has been like you know like at the time we uh you know we're looking at at coaching options like back even going back to vogel we looked at tyron Lu. The Clippers haven't won anything meaningful like in the last four years. Like Tyron Lue has been up and down. If you're a Clipper fan, I doubt you're listening to this, but those of you who know Clipper fans like have heard probably the complaints that that fan base has had about Ty Lue. Monty Williams, who, you know, I, I think around again, around the same time, like we didn't get him because we didn't want to pay him. OK, he was fired and then he's now currently the coach of the like a historically bad Detroit Pistons team. So like. It, it's like I'm not like the person to just say like, oh, because like, what, what have you done for me lately? That's like what makes a good coach. I think finding a co- good coach is really, really hard. And that's why I tend to take the perspective of a coach needs to tell the players what they need to do to execute a game plan and keep it keep that as simple as possible and then just keep locker room morale high. I think we are not in the, you know, not necessarily like certainly during the regular season not every game is this x and o like chess match like these guys are slogging through an 82 game season there were nights that i'm sure they like until they the plane lands and they get off they don't even know who they're playing the next night on like a back-to-back you know it's like these are all like the realities of an nba season but you know the thing that i liked about ham from the beginning is it did seem like he was in tune with analytics. He w- he would constantly reference certain analytics. It seemed like he had a strategy of how he wanted this group to run defensively. Um, and not, and notwithstanding the fact that we had a roster that was horrific defensively last year in like, we had eight guards that were all six, three and under Anthony and Anthony Davis is like our only front court player. Notwithstanding all of that, we were still like a top 10 defensive team when AD was healthy playing with four other guard lineups, which is like crazy, right? And so he figured out, and he was obviously like, by all accounts, the guy who was behind like the defensive uh, sort of strategizing with the Bucks. And so we saw how that translated. Like we kind of implemented this pick your poison thing and look, it worked for us. And I was impressed by the fact that he could take a team that was that in, you know, deficient defensively and make them look passable. The offense, I think I always gave him a pass on because our roster was constructed so poorly. I mean, people talking about like the three point shooting this year, like people forget how bad it was last year. I mean, we really did not have three point shooting options. Um, And so I kind of gave him a pass. And then finally, when it seemed like he got that roster that was more balanced, the team sort of took off and he sort of took off as like a coach coming into his own as a first year coach. The problem I have with him now is what he says does not, you know, really go with what he's doing. I, I you know, he says the the right things in the media. Oh, we can't have like the, the rash reactions to losing a few games. Oh, you can't just go willy nilly changing your starting lineup, you know, like every other game. But then he does that. Right. And not only does he do that, but he does it in ways that like, don't really make sense. He says things like, you know, we've been playing poorly. So I want to lean all in on defense, but then does not address the fact that like this starting five, that starting five that he, I, I shouldn't say this cause thank God he changed it, but that starting five that he tried with Reddish and Vando, 
along with Prince and obviously LeBron and AD, like that lineup was playing worse defense in the minutes they were on the court than the San Antonio Spurs, who were like 30th in the league um, currently as as def- a defensive team, right? So we were playing worse than that pace with that group. But there's no acknowledgement of that. There's no like, hey, like, you know, I guess this didn't work defensively. Like, why, by the way, is the solution to start with an all-defense lineup? Why isn't the solution to be like, look, we're figuring out rotations. Key defensive guys like Gabe Vincent and Vando have been out of lineup. We are going to go with the guys that we know can score us points and with the guys that we want on the floor to try to win games. Why not go with that strategy? You mean a balanced strategy? Yeah, you know, like, (laughs) exactly. It's like, you know, people say this, but like, if given the option, like, you know, last year, and I'm I'm not pulling these numbers, right? I'm not like, these are rough numbers. They're not like exact. I'm not looking at the numbers right now. But like, that lineup that we talk about, right? With the the one that carried us at the end of last season with Austin and D'Lo and Vando. That lineup had like, uh, 125 offensive rating and like a 115 defensive rating. If given the option between that and a 105 offensive rating and a 108 defensive rating, Ham seems to prefer to take the latter. He he will sacrifice everything offensively for a marginal improvement defensively, and it just feels like he it just feels like he knows he has a defensive player of the year candidate in AD. He doesn't know that he has any idea what to do offensively. So if he can hang his hat on one thing, he's going to lean on the defensive player of the year to try to pull himself up because he has nothing else. This offense is horrifically, horrifically underperforming people. I've been talking to people lately who said, Oh, Austin has like regressed. Austin didn't take the leave. Everyone thought he was going to be this borderline all-star. Austin got off to a slow start, maybe due to some fatigue from FIBA, which, by the way, everybody commented on at the time. In December, in 15 games, Austin went for 17-5-5. Average. 17-5-5 in 29 minutes played. And he did that on 50-40-90 shooting splits. Turnovers for him were down to two a game. On a team that's this deficient offensively, how are we only finding 29 minutes a game to give this guy? There's just no explanation, you know? And it's just like, again, is the answer to play Cam Reddish because he plays some defense? Like, he's one of the worst offensive players, literally statistically, in the entire NBA. Like, Like, what are we doing? And so it's like, you know, everything, every step of the way, it's like, we don't, you know, he talks about, like, Gum coming into the season, how deep we are, and the depth is going to help us, and we're going to get out and run, and we're going to be disruptive. And we're and then we start Cam Reddish and Torian Prince, two guys on expiring deals, and put our three highest paid players besides LeBron James and Anthony Davis off our bench. Like, we were running last year with D'Angelo Russell. Why would you think that all of a sudden you put non-ball handlers into the starting lineup. None of these guys can bring the court up in that in that lineup that with the Torian Prince and the Vando and et cetera. None of the guys in that lineup can bring the ball up except LeBron. So if anybody on the floor rebounds, you lose those seconds by having to find yeah. LeBron, pass him the ball, and yeah. then run up. As opposed to those lineups we had where like four guys could, you know, three guys could catch the rebound and or like, you know, you had a 60% chance of somebody on the floor being able to rebound and just immediately push it themselves. Yeah, including Vando. No, yeah. Including Vando. But there's been, like no, again, no effort to like bring any of that back. 
oh, we want to do this defensively, but how come, you know, where where is the, you want to play with pace? Where's the pace? You know, again, even with Russ, like, we were notorious for being like a horrific defensive team. We would lose games 130 to 135, like with regularity. Okay. But every, we were consistent in a few things. And one of those things was every single time the opponent made or missed, we ran and we were trying to keep the pace up. And now we have guys who are young and can run around our two vet stars. And we're not doing that. And, and and I just like, again, it's just like, there are only there's a finite number of solutions. You have a 15 sorry, we have a 14 man roster. Two of those guys are rookies you're not going to play. This can't really be much easier. If you can't figure out who at this point in the season are your top 6 to 8 guys on this 12 man roster and you can't figure out how you're going to get those guys minutes on the court in positions for them to succeed, I I just don't understand how you have you know, really a right to be an NBA coach. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And, and you made this point before, but you, and, and I like the points you made via text, but you were like, if you can't hide one offensively skilled guard on defense, then what are you doing as a head coach when every other single coach in the NBA is able to do that. You know, Tyrese Halliburton is a t- horrific defender. And I know this is a bad comparison because Tyrese Halliburton is miles better than D'Angelo Russell at taking care of the ball, playmaking, etc. Right. But the same thing applies. Like how many guards out there don't play any defense and are even worse than D'Angelo Russell and are shorter. Fred Van Vliet, you know, like Terry Rozier. Why can't Darvin Ham make this work? And instead of trying to make it work and like riding the wave of a D'Angelo Russell slump, he has to go to this galaxy brain solution that only from a macro perspective only topples your the confidence and rhythm of your players further, your most important players who you will need to bail you out. D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, Rui Hashimura. And so is it safe to say, I mean, would you agree with me that Ham is kind of in over his head. And to be fair and to put myself in his shoes a little bit, let's let's just give Ham complete benefit of the doubt. If if we're viewing this stretch for him and it's a very very terrible stretch as a one-off outlier, how would you describe this? To me, it it kind of feels like a coach who's grasping at straws and is sort of panicking when all he needed to do was settle things down a little bit, take a deep breath, contextualize things properly. But instead, it feels like he's pulling at all these different levers and he's lost control now. And it's going to be hard to put the toothpaste back in the 
toothpaste bottle, if that makes any sense. Yeah, you know? it does. Well, it does. And, and I just think that, like, again, the inconsistency between who gets a leash and who doesn't. Torian Prince, I, I, it's like so annoying that we have to keep bringing this guy up because he actually has been for four million, five million, whatever we're paying him. Yeah, he's been a solid signing. He's hitting forty one percent from three on decent volume. He obviously is like a, he's at least a solid defender. He's maybe not like elite or whatever. He's not like one of the known as like one of the elite like lockdown wings in the league, but he's better than average. Okay. That was a solid signing. Why do we have to play him 35 minutes a game? Why are we giving him such a long leash, but D'Angelo Russell misses, makes one mistake and he plays five minutes? It's like, that's what or I'm Max getting. Christie. Like the, Give Max Christie some reps, or, please. Or Max Christie. How bad does Cam Reddish have to play before he's out of the lineup? Why has he been playing for so many games? Everyone else has been cut out. Basically, like... The guys got healthy. Rui, Vando, those guys got healthy. Immediately, Christian Wood was cut out of the rotation. Okay, Jackson Hayes had a few bad games in the row. Immediately cut out of the rotation. Cam Reddish has been statistically one of the worst players in the NBA for like this entire season, and he continues to play. Torian Prince, in his big minutes, has continued to show that he only has limited value. And if you go beyond that, go beyond those time periods, you and I flag this like a week into the season and we're not at practice. We're not at every game. This is just like watching on the screen. Like you, you know, we said a hundred times, Torian Prince, you play, you play him 20 minutes, you play him 35. He's probably going to make three threes and score like 10 points. That's like the kind of player he is, you know? And so like, why are we giving these guys so much deference, but anybody else who makes a mistake on this team is like, you're just cut. Like Austin Reeves, you had a stretch of some bad games, go to the bench. D'Angelo Russell, you had a, a stretch of, uh, D'Angelo Russell's stretch of bad games was like four or five Six, games. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. And he went from being our third best player consistently for the entire season, like one of the main reasons we were staying afloat, to being like effectively blacklisted from the rotation. Yeah. By the way, Gabe Vincent hasn't played this entire season. We literally have two guards and we can't play them. We have two guards and we can't play them. Okay, to that point, it, it, it's one thing to bench D'Angelo Russell for playing poorly or whatever, but the fact that we don't have Gabe Vincent this entire season and we're already down one crucial guard, he was supposed to take the place of Dennis Schroeder, right? We're down two ball hand, We're down to two non-LeBron James ball handlers, Tommy. Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell. How in hell can you only play D'Angelo Russell 17 minutes a game, regardless of how terrible he is on defense, when you need ball handling? It, it, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so I think I'm going to give you some descriptors of how I feel about him, and you can, you can say agree or disagree or, or jump off from there, because I feel like we need some structure here to close this episode out. But, you know, for me... Sad as it is to say, Darvin Ham, the, the, okay, here's my phrase. Here's my theme, my banner phrase for the year and this, this season. The Lakers as a whole are less than the sum of their parts under Ham. You know that, sta- you know that saying, the whole is greater than the sum of their parts. With Darvin Ham, everybody is just worse, collectively and individually. Yes. He is not a coach who extracts the best out of his players and maximizes the talent on the roster. In fact, he has consistently found ways to de-accentuate the strength of his role players by tossing them in lineups that make no sense or jostling their minutes back and forth and their roles to the point where they can't even find a rhythm even if they wanted to. We are talking about a coach, Tommy, who on nights when AD has sat, 
Christian Wood has come away with one-shot attempt games. The same Christian Wood who he talked to every day in the offseason to try and convince him to come to the Lakers. The, Christian, the same Christian Wood who was supposed to be AD's insurance policy, the bucket Christian Wood, getting one-shot attempt in a game when AD is out. How does that happen? You mentioned the contradictory messaging and the bad excuses that he makes from saying that he, you can't keep changing the starting lineup on a whim because it's a delicate organism one night and then changing the starting lineup in the most drastic of ways the next night and then doing so every other night after that. Yes, I know there were injuries. I have a, I have a, a theory, Tommy, as to why he's stuck with Torian Prince and Cam Reddish so much. And Cam Reddish, I'll say, you know, he struggled, but the stats actually do say he's been like the fourth most impactful player on the court this season just because he's been so good defensively. But I agree with you, like, the very things that made Cam Reddish successful at the start of this season, i.e. limiting his role and putting him in structured formats where he doesn't have to do a lot, Darvin Ham has completely lost the script on that. And all of a sudden, yes. Cam Reddish is playing secondary pick and roll with AD or something because crazy. You know, LeBron James has like, been doubled. So it, it's And again, it's like ignoring what got you there. We talked about how he hasn't tried the two obvious five-man lineups that make sense, right? He also went so quickly away from that lineup that worked for a while when Cam Reddish first entered the lineup because D'Angelo Russell was still in that lineup. So D'Angelo Russell, you know, has shooting gravity. D'Angelo Russell could set him up for corner three. Yes, he finds Torian Prince and Cam Reddish. It's, yeah. yeah, it wasn't just LeBron, like, passing it to these guys. And so the reaction to that was like, well, Delos had five bad games. Let's put Vanderbilt in the starting lineup <laughs> with two other, like, non-offensive Like, what is happening? Of yeah. all the roster permutations, of all the lineup permutations it's like he went for the one that's like like these are the types of things that they should have been experimenting with in the preseason and you can say like vando was hurt most of the preseason but if you wanted to play a three forward plus lebron and ad lineup you could have tried that in the preseason but this preseason by the way like every preseason it feels like since the first year the first year with vogel it felt like we took that preseason preseason seriously Every other preseason since then has just been like, you know, you start the game for the first quarter and that group gets like an eight minute run for the coach to get a look at whether that five minute group like or sorry, that five man group could work as a starting unit or as a unit to play in general. That's like our only preseason process is like those short glimpses and every single game by the time the second, third, certainly fourth quarter rolls around. We are putting in rotations that would never, like lineups that would never play together. We waste the time just to pass through those preseason games. And and now it leads to a situation like this where if you wanted to try, we had Max Christie available during the preseason. We had Torian Prince and we had Rui. If you wanted to try these crazy big lineups, and we had Cam Radish. If you wanted to try these crazy big lineups with all offense, no defense, or all wings, and LeBron is the point guard... You had opportunities to do this and you waited 40 games, like, you know, 30 games into the season to just be like, now I'm going to go with all forwards. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think waste of time is a perfect way to describe what's happened this season under Ham. Again, obviously injuries derailed things, but everyone was healthy at the start of preseason and we kind of just dicked around and wasted our time there. When everyone was healthy during the IST championship run, we let the post IST hangover get the best of us, and instead of starting to reintegrate the main core pieces from last year and bring back that continuity, 
Ham got crazy with it and started scrambling. And I think to your point, because we're at 500 now and once again fighting for our play in lives, because we never situated a solid foundation here and started giving deference to expiring new pieces that we signed this offseason who weren't a part of our core group from last year in Prince and Reddish, the whole team is in continual scramble and catch-up mode. D'Angelo Russell is still getting 16 minutes off the bench for some reason. Continuity is now out the door, even if you try and start playing the core guys you committed to in the first place. The core guys being AD, LBJ, Rui, Vando, AR, and D'Lo, who again, helped get Ham here in the first place. Those groups still need time to snap back into place and gel, and yet we have still not trotted those lineups out there. And so now we're kind of just swimming around in this perpetual state of throwing shit at the wall to make things work and not having enough time to let things gradually play out because we've wasted our time and, again, we're scrambling. And it's a real unfortunate place to be in. And to get back to my point about this conspiracy theory that I had, I truly believe that Darvin Ham promised Torian Prince that he would help revive his career, that if Torian Prince took the one-year BAE of $4 million, which is actually less than what he was supposed to make with the T-Wolves this season before they cut him, he was supposed to make $7 million, I truly believe that Ham promised him that if Prince took the BAE, Ham would make sure that he'd have a big role, a, a surefire starting role this season. And guess what? He has stayed true to that word through thick and thin. Torian Prince, career high, 30 minutes a game. And I also think that those initial tweaks that Ham made to start the season when everyone was injured, those tweaks he made to start Cam Reddish over Austin Reeves and to continue to ride Torian Prince even through his cold stretches, I think those moves, which inevitably ended up working out for a little bit because Ham rode those lineup decisions to an IST championship, I think those initial moves were actually curses in disguise because they helped embolden Ham to keep tinkering. They helped embolden Ham to abandon continuity and forget what got him here in the first place. And so when we hit that rough stretch again after the IST, Ham probably said to himself, well, I galaxy brain myself out of the first predicament earlier, earlier on in the season. Let me do it again with this all defense, all forwards lineup. And so here we are. And I'm actually glad that the noise has gotten so loud from other parties surrounding Darvinham that it's forced Darvinham to readjust a little bit and dial the lever back to median levels of intuitive competency. But again, with the Toronto Raptors game last night, you, you, he went back to his bullshit and, and relegated D'Angelo Russell to 16 minutes, and there's no excuse for that at this point. And at this point, half the season is over, and we're in a state of walking on eggshells, hoping that it's not too late. But yeah, such is life under Darvin Ham. There was actually one other topic, Tommy, that I wanted to discuss with you. But unfortunately, I forgot that I actually have a walkthrough right now with our current apartment complex before we officially <laughs> move out. So I think we'll cut it short there. I know you were on a roll. I was on a roll. That's but okay, that's, yeah. uh, that's Darvin Ham for you. Life and energy being sucked out of the room. So I think that's appropriate. <laughs> we'll cut it here. Tommy, I will catch you later. Um, and yeah, more to come. Uh, we'll see what happens with uh, his tenure moving forward. But I will catch you later. Peace. See ya.
credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.